Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Each week on Movable Dough, I sit down with a composer to talk about their lives, their musical journeys, and, of course, their music. Come with me as we explore each unique path into composition and what they have to share with the world. For a complete archive of episodes, as well as access to the shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website, sdcompose.com slash movabledough. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dome. My guest today is Andrew Morgan Smith. Andrew is a film and media composer that has scored over 55 film and television projects. He studied composition and music media at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Andrew has been a guest lecturer at many high schools and universities across the country, including New York University, Emory University, Louisiana State University, and others. In the past 10 years, he has scored over 90 projects across all media. I'm very excited to get to know more about you and your music. So, Andrew Morgan Smith, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you much. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> so, I see several mentions of Louisiana in your bio. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, that's where I'm from. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a small place called Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, it's where I went to high school, where I went to college. It's actually, um, kind of, kind of where I got my start and not by kind. I mean, that's, that is literally where I got my start. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what all the Louisiana references are. So how did you start? Were you on piano or, or voice or what were you doing first? Yeah. I, so we started, um, my, my father was a tuba performance major in college. And so he thought that it was very important that we all kind of had found musical foundations if we decided to do any kind of music. Um, so around first grade, so I have, I have two sisters who are about seven years older than me. And around first grade, we all kind of start piano. We started piano and we took piano lessons. Um, but we, we kind of were a musical family. Like we listened to, to soundtracks and we did all these different things. And, um, and I think that, that was something I kind of didn't, um, I took, I not took for granted a bit as a kid, you know, like being exposed to all these different kinds of music, being exposed to, um, you know, I learned guitar from watching my dad play guitar. I <clears throat> joined band in fifth grade and, and, um, and, you know, did high school, did all this different stuff. So that was kind of how I got my start musically, you know, but I, uh -huh. I do just remember, you know, I have um, pretty early memories of uh, there's this this thing that sticks in my mind. There's this um, cassette tape that my dad used to have. It was a Pops in Space <laughs> tape by the Boston. It was John Williams conducting the Boston Pops with a bunch of different music. Some of it was his, some of it was other people's. And I remember listening to that tape. And, and even if I hadn't, you know, seen the movie, I remember um, like imagining what was going on, you know. So it's kind of been this omnipresent thing in my life. <laughs> well that's awesome because i saw in your bio that you're like a, a multi-instrumentalist uh some of the instruments i saw listed were piano guitar saxophone clarinet flute trombone and euphonium which i used to play as well which is why that caught my attention yeah uh yeah. so w would you say that there is an instrument that sort of was your main instrument yeah i mean i i was a saxophone major in college okay. so that's that's the instrument that i feel um we'll just say most at home with, you know, um, 
whenever you practice on it hours and hours and hours and hours <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it, it it is like the other things i you know have varying levels of capability uh and i definitely know where my limits are you know sure um <clears throat> uh but saxophone is one of those things where i feel confident in in most things where i can i can perform what i need to perform on it you know right so when did you start actually writing music um actually during piano lessons when i was a kid i didn't like practicing which i i can definitely empathize with my children now who don't want to <laughs> practice um so i started to just kind of do whatever like just kind of make stuff up you know and and i'd say oh i'm composing you know i didn't want to deal with it well that was a great idea until my dad thought that was great. And then he hooked me up to, you know, really early notation software that would actually notate what you were playing in, you know, like Sibelius first early right. of Sibelius where you do like MIDI timing. And, uh, and I'm, and I remember I played in this thing, I brought it to my piano teacher and she thought, Oh, this is great. So I'd, I ended up having to perform this like <laughs> random thing that I made at a concert like at a recital for her uh and i just remember like i remember i couldn't because i did these like clusters because i didn't know what you know you don't know what you're doing and so i remember like not remembering which notes were the right notes for the clusters and it, it didn't go the way that i would have hoped you know yeah do you remember what you what you called that first composition no not at all <laughs> it, just, I, it just burned the 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 recital is burned into my brain of me, you know, at the front of a room with a, with like an electric keyboard and like trying to perform this thing, you know. <laughs> um, but obviously it didn't dissuade me that much, but that was that was quite an experience, you know. That's awesome. So when did film and television and media music sort of enter the picture? Was that something you always envisioned yourself dealing with? No, I mean, despite it being kind of always around and me listening to it and making up stuff to it, I never saw it as a as a um, career path. In fact, I actually just wanted to be a normal composer before I wanted to be a film composer. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I remember writing a couple, you know, classical pieces. Like I mean, like concert works, right? Not classical pieces, but concert works um as like a high school student you know just kind of messing around writing a couple random things um and even i remember my band director in high school saying oh you should write what you know write concert write concert band music because i was saxophonist so you know saxophone's not allowed in orchestra usually you know unless it's special circumstances so well you know there's too much <laughs> too much sax and violins for that true it's true. And and obviously one saxophone is too many in, in orchestra. <laughs> um, so I that was kind of where I initially had started. And then in in high school, I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And for whatever reason, that really clicked for me at that time. Like that was I must have seen it seven times in theaters. And uh and it just clicked. It's like this is what I want to do. Uh -huh. You know. So like the soundtrack uh, to Pirates? Yeah, for you know, it, it just the the right and, and I and it's I know a lot of people. I mean, I I love Star Wars. I love all these different scores, but it it really was a um, you know, a, a turning point in my brain. We'll say, um, <clears throat> and from there, I kind of all my efforts like shifted to that. Uh -huh. Um, you know, and I still write concert music. I've been commissioned to write concert music, and I enjoy I you know, play in concert 
uh, concert groups and all this kind of stuff. And I enjoy doing that, but um, it just really wasn't where I ended up seeing my, and I, I, and I'm not really sure also, I mean, I don't know. Why does anything strike us at, you know, at such a formative age, you know, cause I, I, I do enjoy playing in wind ensembles. I do enjoy playing in all these different places. Maybe it was also the idea of, um, you know, media to music was, is such a powerful, um, format that maybe that was like part of what it is, you know, part of what pushed, pushed me towards that. Um, but that was, that was the moment that changed everything. That's awesome. So thinking back on your formative years is, is there a music teacher that you think uh, had a lasting impact or influence on the direction you went? You know, I, I think my composition teacher in college, uh, who's uh, Dr. Quincy Hilliard, who's mostly known for his concert band works. He's uh he's like a, he does a lot of clinics. He does a lot of this stuff. He was always very supportive of, of everything that I was interested in. I, I went and I met with him before I went to college at UL. Um, and he was very supportive then, you know, he was very supportive of the whole thing. And, and frankly, um, all the teachers at the school of music really were, which was, which was one of the benefits of going to a smaller school. Mm-hmm. I went to the school because it had a music media program at the time. It was like the only one in the state at a state school, um, which music media is like a music production, um, degree, kind of, kind of a Jack of all trades, right? It has, sure you know, audio engineering, arranging, recording, there's a film scoring portion. There was all these different things instead of going directly into just composition. Um, because I figured I could always do comp lessons on the side. Dr. Hilliard always let me do kind of whatever I needed to do. And that was kind of what the school allowed me to do as well. They knew that I was working on stuff. They knew I was trying to do this. So they kind of let me do whatever I wanted. Um, like kind of be more selective about how I wanted to pursue my education. But I think the supportive side of Hilliard where he never really, he never really constrained me about what I was writing. As long as I was writing, he was happy to give feedback on it, give me ideas, talk about it. Um, But uh, because I've heard some schools do things where it's very, it's very paint by numbers, right? Like you don't write a large ensemble work until you're a senior in college. Like you only write chamber works whenever you're, in earlier years in college, you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't that at all, which I think for me was a really good format. Um, yeah. I understand for some people, I understand why you'd be a little bit more constrained, especially for people who aren't as motivated. I feel, I felt like I kind of was an insane person, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to, to, to push, yourself in this job because it is it is kind of like an all-consuming thing you know yeah so your online bio mentions that you're currently working on season three of disney's animated show the owl house so i know you've done work for big studios in the past how is it working for the mouse i mean do they have any different expectations or anything i mean it's been great so i'm 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 working like co-scoring and working under Brad Breek, who uh, has done a ton of stuff. He's He did like Gravity Falls. He's done a ton of work. Um, in fact, I first worked for him uh, on a movie called uh, We Bear Bears, which is the, the, which was the movie of the show. Like the, you know, like a animated show will wrap up and they'll do a movie. Right. Um, so I ended up working on that with him. And um, he called me 
uh, out of the blue and said, "Hey, I have this show. I think, I think it's just." It's just a lot of work, and I didn't know exactly what he was. I didn't. I didn't get at the time exactly what he was talking about. But he was like, "It's this. It's like an older show. Like it's. It's definitely like an older targeted show. So the music isn't. It's not like. It, it's not. We'll just say like kitty music, you know. And he's like, "It's just. It's just very time consuming to write, and I need. I need help." So I said, "Sure, that sounds great." And uh frankly i know a lot of people have had mixed experiences working for disney but um my experience has been great i don't know whether it's just been the team uh working on it you know whether i mean the music executives have been great mark has been great uh and dana the showrunner has been great her notes were all you know completely reasonable there was no <laughs> there was no <laughs> insanity that you can sometimes get from from um you know executive notes sure um and so it was like pretty smooth down to the, whenever we just, so we just turned in the last, I say just like we turned in the last episode in January for the finale, which I think airs in April. Okay. Um, and you know, on, and we also, so as a side note, it's a, it is shortened. It's a shortened season and it's only three specials. So it's three, uh, 45 minute to an hour long episodes, you know, like, so they're basically double length episodes um, and we worked in a in a in a half episode basis. So we do like the first half of the first episode, the second half of the the, the first episode, and then uh-huh. put those together. Um, so like on on the third episode, you know, she sent us back notes, and it was like four tweaks. You know, like so she was um, like we had kind of really honed in on the sound that we awesome. that we needed. But I mean, it was I mean, frankly, it was great. I, I I wouldn't hesitate to work with them again on stuff. You know, it was it was a great experience. All right, well, go check out Owl House if you haven't yet. Uh, so when you do sit down to work on a new project, whether it be Owl House or a, a new film or whatever, do you have a routine that you follow to help you quickly form melodic ideas? Um, well, thankfully on the Owl House, like there's you know it's the third season of a show, so so whenever you have that, there's such a a well worn, um initial basis for what the sound is and right. what, what the themes are. And and I got to do other stuff because the characters go in new directions and it gets, it gets pretty dark. So I was able to go like full on horror with some, with some of the music, <laughs> but um, generally um, I do like to kind of open up a piano patch and just sort of sketch ideas. Um, and sometimes talking about being all consuming, um, you know that can be the i'll be driving there's a there's a joke there's there's a, a sketch group called the whitest kids you know i don't know if you're familiar with that group <laughs> no and they have a john williams sketch that that is hilarious and it's also just it really does feel um it feels like what i'm doing so so the whole bit is that they're like what is how does john williams you know uh come up with themes and and he decides though his his in the sketch his wife says that she can outcompose John Williams and so they said they're going to have a um a contest to see who writes the best theme um and their son Sherwin Williams is going to decide who <laughs> who has the best theme and so it goes through this whole day of John Williams driving around to the drive-through and he's just singing to himself like it just he's just singing the whole time and then the wife is just doing nothing. She's just doing her normal day. Um, but it sort of feels like that in the sense that like I'll be doing stuff and I'm just like constantly thinking about this problem. It's like a it's like a 
uh, a puzzle, right? Like you're, uh-huh. you're thinking to yourself, okay, how does this work? And then if the idea strikes you, if the melody strikes you, um, you know, I- I'll open up voice memos and sing it into my phone, you know? Uh-huh. And I even have some videos of like, uh, I-, I have a YouTube channel and I-, I actually have an example of like, here is literally me singing into my phone, <laughs> this, <laughs> this theme. And then here's the theme in the final version. Oh, right? that's awesome. Um, so I'll do that. And then from there, um, unfortunately with a lot of these projects, you don't have a ton of time, you know, like you got to get rolling. You're, you can be writing on multiple projects. You're writing two to four minutes of music in a day. So a lot of times, like once you kind of have the themes, you just got to get moving. Sure. Um, So once I kind of have themes and then I know where we're going, I'll sometimes do a sketch in orchestra, like in samples, and then I'll send it to the director or the producer, whoever is the creative and, and get some feedback just so we know we're in the right ballpark um, before I get too deep into writing. And then it just feels like there's point of no return once you get past, oh, well, I've written six minutes of music and this is due in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's sort of my process. Um, obviously, it varies on project to project. Um, if it's going to be recorded, I oftentimes will be, you've got to be a little more judicious in how you, how you write, if that makes sense. Right. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times because the turnarounds are so fast, I'll know, okay, this is what I'm recording. So I need to be aware of that before I start sketching the actual orchestral ideas. And can we achieve this sound with whatever ensemble we're using, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, I, that was very fascinating. I appreciate the answer. So before we take a quick break, I'm going to ask you, Andrew, to play a quick game that this week we're calling Schumann or not Schumann. That is the question. So I'm going to ask you a series of five true or false statements about Robert and Clara Schumann. Uh, you're a winner just for playing the game. So just do your best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, piano, my piano teacher may get, ver- may get very upset, you know. <laughs> All right. Number one, true or false. Robert Schumann ran away from law school to become a concert pianist. I know he I'm going to say false uh, it is true although oh. a later hand injury changed him from pianist to composer okay I knew he was a, I knew he was a pianist I just didn't know I thought you were trying to trick me you know <laughs> <laughs> all right number two true or false Clara Schumann started writing her piano concerto when she was 13 and Robert conducted the premiere performance true close she did start writing at 13 uh, but Felix Mendelssohn actually conducted the premiere with Clara as soloist. Yep. Yep. See, this is, this is what I knew you, you would be like half, <laughs> half correct. <laughs> uh, number three, Clara's greatest compositions came later in her life. True or false? I mean, I feel like it's pretty subjective, right? Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say false. That is false. She didn't yeah. compose anything after the age of 36. Yeah. Uh, number four, true or false, Robert Schumann was the first composer to write for piano quintet. False. It is true. The earliest piece for piano and string quartet is 1842, titled Piano Quintet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, don't worry. I, I didn't know half of this before I looked it up either, so okay. don't worry about it. <laughs> and number five, true or false, Robert suffered from mental illness, most likely diagnosed today as bipolar or schizophrenic. So, true or false, psychiatrists of the day used his music as a means of psychiatric diagnosis and studying his bipolar moods. Uh, 
I'm, go with your gut. Yeah, I'm going to say true. That is true. Yeah. So their studying of his music caused other musicians to further study his music as well. So pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, once he, I mean, it's a little more obscure than my, my, my basic piano teacher knowledge that I think, I think I would have gotten, you know? Well, that's great. I hope everybody learned something today. And like I said, you're already a winner just for playing. <laughs> <laughs> All Nobody right. We're going to take one, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to listen to some of Andrew's compositions. Welcome back. This is Steve Danielson. I'm talking today with Andrew Morgan Smith. So we're going to talk first today about your work on the film Bunker. I don't often get to talk about or talk with composers about movies that are currently in theaters, but of this as of this recording, the movie came out four days ago. Uh, this is a mystery slash horror movie set in the era of World War One, and I understand the director had some unusual request for this film, an overture. Not every modern movie has an overture, so why this time? Uh, so Bunker was an interesting phone call, the initial phone call with the director. Um, basically, he called me up and said, hey, I have this like crazy idea that I really want. And I'm told you're the guy to call for this. <laughs> and I thought, oh, great. What is what is this going to be? Um, and he said, I want like a neo. We're making a, like a neoclassical movie. We're making a not a neoclassical movie. We're making like a we're making a throwback movie. So we're making a the premise is what if we what if like a 1920s, 1930s, 1940s production company made a horror movie? Mm. Right. So and they they tried they they shot it on sets. Right. They they did everything like you would have done in like a 1930s, 1940s movie. Right. Like throwing back to like these universal monster movies. Sure. They're, they're it's it's un, it's in a bunker, but it's in a set. Right. And it's or like when they're crawling through no man's land on the battlefield, that's all a set. So it has this very specific look, almost like um, if you're familiar with the universal monster movies, like the werewolf, um, right. um, like, the, you know, that these like fog sets where like you get past like 30 feet and there's just fog, <laughs> right? You don't see the wall. So like um, he said, I'm making this movie and I want the score. And even down to like, it's not even shot in the same aspect ratio as modern movies, right? It's shot in the more, um, medium like everything's medium formatted they shot it they did slower takes they did slower things the actors are even acting more in this older style huh and what he said was what we really need we need music that says what if a 1940s composer scored a horror movie like a modern horror movie and the first the, to, to to be to get us out of the gate in the right way we need to do an overture and so that was the initial sell was like, we need an overture because people need to know when we start, this is what you're doing. Um, and which is a bit, I mean, yeah, and it's not, it's not some huge o overture, right? Like you watch Ben Hur and the overture is probably seven minutes long. Right. <laughs> this is, this is like a two minute overture um, that kind of goes through all the different themes in the movie. It goes through, um, like the main the main monster theme it goes through all these different ideas it goes through um and so it only lasts about a minute or sorry about like two minutes but um but it was so crucial to get um the the right tone as we started and i think i mean i think we succeeded in the sense that um when you read reviews of it you people specifically point out like the music when we start the movie tells you what this movie is going to be right and you can tell the people who don't get it 
um, <laughs> just because they 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 hear it as like a throwback. They'll even say, "Oh, it feels like this whole movie feels dated." It's like, well, yeah, that's what that's what that's we're doing. That's the point. That's <laughs> the that's the feature, not the bug. <laughs> that's awesome. So, sticking with Bunker, I want to also turn to the swashbuckling cue. Yes. So you said in your email to me that this particular piece is a great representation of what you were going for in the score. Yeah. Uh, sort of the the throwback feel. Uh, it you put a quote on the on the YouTube description. So experience the eerie oscillation between modern horror and classic emotive neoclassical vibes. Yeah. So tell us more about the swashbuckling uh, adventure cue that you've got there. Yeah. So I the whole once again going back to this like old meets new experience right um and what what adrian the director specifically had talked about was what happens if these older composers had scored these movies right now whenever you look at you know um corn gold scoring these pirate fights right the pirate ship fights it's like each hit has its its little moment right it's almost almost animated in a in a way it's like the same style that we do now for animation and um, that's what he wanted. He was like, I, th so swashbuckling is <laughs> the title of it is only because that's literally how we referred to this style of music during this fight scene. So it's a fight scene between the the protagonist and the antagonist. And each like hit is an actual punch or kick or or whatever. And that's gotcha. like the whole bit is like, like watching an old Robin Hood film or something. Exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> So part of the whole sequence was um, was it had to be like, oh, he sees the knife. This changes. He sees this thing. It changes. He gets hit. This they, We have to have hits here, hits here, hits here, right? And so um, that's what that refers to, right? But it's scored like the sonically. It's not – it doesn't sound like it's recorded in the 1930s, right? But it, right. But it's performed and and trying to get – that style what if these composers had access to the, all the things we have now yeah that was the move for it awesome well we are going to listen now to the overture and swashbuckling from bunker performed here by the budapest symphony orchestra with francois russolo conducting and andrew is on the piano guts slash prepared piano do you want to say anything about that before we listen sure um so so someone gifted me because they were moving the inside of an upright piano, like nothing else but the strings and the soundboard. <laughs> and I just, I thought, you know, this is cool. I have no idea when I'm going to use this, but you know, I should get it. So I drove and I, I picked it up <laughs> and I loaded it into my storage unit. And, you know, I was like, okay, at some point this will come in, in handy. Well, they called me up for this movie and I thought, you know, this may be the time. So I unloaded this monstrosity out of storage, you know, this however many pounds, probably 200 pound soundboard. And I set it up in my office and I just beat it. I bowed it. I plucked it. I did all this stuff to it. I even did uh, all the like, the like almost whale sounding noises are all that. It's all the piano. That's um, awesome. But it's with like super balls and I took like violin bows and I just like, <laughs> and I, and I took the hair off of it and I did, you know, kind of uh, rubbed it and all this kind of stuff. So all the effects and even down to the hits, like, I even doubled hits on it uh -huh. um, and they all, it all came out great. So that's what, and I affectionately called it the piano guts, you know? Well, that's awesome. All right. We're going to listen here to the overture and swashbuckling.
All right, next, let's turn to another film project, the Nicolas Cage film, The Old Way, also just released in 2023. So you were asked to write music for an Old West gunslinging action film. So what sort of elements are you adding into your score to make sure it has the flavor of the Old West? Well, it's kind of an interesting, but one, one quick thing. Do you, it says we only have nine minutes left. Do you want to, to back out and get back in before we start uh, this? We'll, we'll, if we get close, we can do okay, that. Go sorry, ahead, and, yeah, go ahead with your description. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, in the old way, when it first came to me, um, they were much more interested in kind of a guitar based, more modern score. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I obviously like this is a Nicolas Cage movie and uh, it was hard for me to pass up the opportunity because he kind of plays against type, right? We have <laughs> Nicolas Cage is usually over the top. Um, and I mean, he's great, but he's usually kind of over the top. And in this movie, he is not at all. Uh-huh. Um, he's very stoic. So so what we were finding was between the contrast of him playing this very stoic character and also just the this visually, I mean, it was shot in Montana. So it was this visually very expansive film. Um, the guitar stuff just felt too intimate. Like it didn't feel cinematic at all. Um, the movie also isn't like some gritty Western. It's not, it's not that. So the movie itself is kind of a throwback to what we're calling a classic studio Western. So like a John Wayne movie, right? Like it's, it's a little more in that world than like, um, than like bone Tomahawk or something, you know? Uh-huh. And so what we were kind of realizing was once again, just like in bunker, we had, to, we need to clue the audience in, into what we're doing. Like we can't do, something that is just kind of run the mill and and frankly like every western it's uh, westerns have been scored in basically every genre i've heard it in uh you know guitars i've heard it in i mean everything percussion and ensemble you know so so what they came to me and asked was hey we want to do this like a classic studio western that's what we want and what does that mean so um so after kind of thinking a lot on it i listened to a lot of different scores um I kind of came to this idea eventually of a shot in Montana. What if we did like Rocky mountain folk music added into this like mm. classic Western kind of Cop- Copeland esque style. Right. Um, and that was what the, the push into this style was. And I still, I did things to update it says we want it to be a modern studio Western. We don't want it to be um, sorry. We still wanted like a modern sound, an interesting sound. So, so there's like delays and, reverbs and all these interesting stuff on the on the fiddle and banjo and guitars but um still have that classic sensibility to the the score all right so the first piece we're going to listen to is called ambush so i haven't seen the film yet is when this music is being used is it the protagonist being ambushed or is he the one doing the ambushing and do you think that would have changed how you scored it yeah so so actually the ambush doesn't take place with the protagonist at all it's okay. uh the the gang that is that is um being chased by the protagonist ambushes um basically uh some federal marshals so the federal marshal party gotcha um, and and if it had been the protagonist yeah it would have been different right he um they don't really um in the, at least in this situation we don't get at the end of at the end of the queue, you kind of hear this hard out, this kind of push out, and and that's when actually the the marshal kind of turns to fight back, and then we cut back to our protagonist, um, because they're hearing the gunshots across the canyon or whatever. So, um, 
so actually most of this queue is on the antagonist side, right? As in, they're the one pushing everything forward. The marshals, the ones who got ambushed, they're trying to take cover. They're trying to, you know, you'll hear at one point someone, you know, tries to run for another spot and get shot. You'll even hear that moment mm. you know, that is built in this in this sequence. So, um, it would obviously be different. Hopefully, hopefully the protagonist would have fought back quicker. I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but that's that's the whole. That's kind of the what's happening in it is the marshal gets ambushed. They're trying to to take. Uh, stock of the situation. They're trying to take cover. They're trying to um, to fight back. And finally, when they turn to fight back, that's when um, we cut to cut away from this queue. Gotcha. So uh, the second piece we're going to listen to from the old way, uh, Colton opens up. Uh, you said this was one of the more popular tracks from the score. So in your opinion, what do you think it is that people like about this track? Well, I mean, actually, I'm kind of surprised it is. Not that I don't like the queue. <laughs> Not that I don't like the queue. Um, I'm actually surprised because it is this really uh, interestingly reserved cue. Mm -hmm. um, and so the whole the movie, um, the whole story is based around this father-daughter relationship. And this is one of those things that did work really well with the guitar-based temp music they had originally was the guitar stuff felt very intimate, right? Um, so that was something they wanted to preserve. They thought, okay, well, this sounds really intimate we like how it could the back and forth of the guitar stuff kind of had. So they wanted to preserve that, um, which I was all for. Cause I, I like the, the, the change in pace, you know? Sure. And so in this queue, we get a lot of these guitar, we get a lot of guitar, we get a lot of banjo, we get a lot of fiddle and um, the, the lead character and the daughter are on are it's, it's heavily implied they're on the, the spectrum, right? Uh -huh. And what what would that have been like back? Because the movie takes place at the turn of the the into the twentieth century, like takes place early nineteen nineteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds, that kind of time period. Um, and so, what would that have been like, right? If you were on the spectrum at that time period, um, like how do you get by? What does what ha happens, right? And um, so in this. Q in this in this it's a fireside chat between the dad and the daughter he kind of opens up to her because he's now realized that she's like him she doesn't experience things and doesn't show things the same way as other people do so it's not that he doesn't have emotions you know it's not that he doesn't have emotions he just doesn't express them the same way that someone else might right so he talks about um how how he has kind of dealt with that through his life and and why he became this mercenary and and then how he met her mother and and that changed some things for him so um you can kind of hear her theme play through which was played on the fiddle and um you hear uh so like the rising theme in there is her theme and then um the daughter's theme is always is usually played on the banjo. So like you're hearing some of her stuff, you're hearing some of his stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm overjoyed that people are that into it, <laughs> you know? Awesome. Well, we're now going to listen to ambush and Colton opens up from the old way performed again here by the Budapest symphony orchestra.
So, Andrew, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? Um, well, obviously, I'm really excited that Bunker just came out. Um, that's been kind of this both Bunker and the old way were these kind of labors of love um, projects. In fact, I some people had reached out to me and asked uh, about the score specifically for Bunker. So I actually ended up um, you can it you can download both PDFs of the full recorded score for Bunker as well as the old way on my website. Wow. Um, so that was that was kind of a thought. I mean, there's just not enough. Um, I think there's not enough study material out there anyway to hit, to be able to listen, you know, one to one. It's hard to find. Um, so I thought that might be a good idea. In fact, even right before we got on this podcast, I was searching for uh, for some some Nicholas Rosa scores to study <laughs> to study. <laughs> but um, so that that's exciting. Um, I have um, the Owl House is. Um, I think the finale airs in April. I'm not. Don't quote me on that because they haven't announced any dates specifically. Well, that'll um, be right around this the time that this episode airs. Okay. So well, at some good. point. So yeah. So sometime in April, I think, is whenever this should be coming out. And um, and I have uh the same director. I'm working with the same director who did Bunker on another um horror movie called Raghorn, which is wrapping up. Um, I should be finishing it this week, actually. And um, I have another kind of uh, actually it's a Louisiana based um, kind of uh, thriller mystery movie talking about uh, folk justice and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure when that's coming out yet either because I'm still working on it. But um, those are kind of the big things going on at the moment um, that I'm excited about, you know. Awesome. So if my listeners do want to learn more about you, you mentioned your website. Uh, can you? Plug your website, social media. Where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me at andrewmorgansmith.com. That's my website. And from there, you can pull most other stuff. But I also have a web, uh, YouTube channel, which is, um, I think it's Andrew Morgan Smith Music is my YouTube. Um, and you'll be able to find most of my other socials on there, on uh, on on my per, uh, my professional website. Um, or if you want to find me on Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff, it's just Andrew Morgan Smith. And... Uh, yeah, try to release as much as I can, you know? Awesome. Well, hey, listeners out there, make sure that you have taken time to hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform. Get the next episode delivered right to your door in a secure envelope ready for your enjoyment, or at least delivered directly to your phone. Subscribe now while you're thinking about it, and you won't regret it. Well, Andrew, today has been a lot of fun. I've really appreciated getting to know you and your music. Thank you for joining me today on Movable Dough. Thank you for having me, man. I'm honored. My guest today was composer Andrew Morgan Smith. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. Sorry.